0: Welcome back, creeps.
1: Hey y'all.
0: What a fucking week. Right. I feel like uh,
1: a whirlwind.
0: A whirlwind, yeah. It's, it's a whirlwind. Is that our theme now for, for the show? I feel like everybody had a good laugh last week.
1: Why? I'll and all a the tornado? fucking tornado jokes, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, patron of the week this week is Gordy M.
1: Ah. Thank you, Gordy.
0: Yeah, we've spoken about Gordy before. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, and how f- I'd
1: beat him in Mario Kart.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, that was on the live last week, so only if the few people that were on our live would have heard that. <laughs> but uh, shots fired, Gordy.
1: Anyway, this episode <laughs> is
0: dedicated to you. Thanks, Gordy. Right, well, I have news this week, so I'm going to go ahead and give my news. Go
1: ahead.
0: Right, it all started off as a regular week. And then on Tuesday, as Dulce informed me, was the beginning of Virgo season. I got a letter saying, congratulations, your worker's permit has been approved. Expect it in the mail soon. So I was like, oh, shit, cool. And then the next day was my birthday and I turned 30. And that was, well, it was an action packed day because Dulce got me all of the nice things and had like lovely FaceTime with family and like cakes and shit like that, got all the gifts. And then I shaved my face. Fucking hated how that turned out. (laughs) I grew a beard as a joke and then it became such a part of me. Now that I don't have it anymore, I keep scaring myself, my reflection. And I've spent since I found out that I'm now eligible to work, I've spent every waking hour worrying about something that needs to be done to get me to work. Whether it's buying a car, do I have the right tools, what kind of job am I going to get? So I have a cop-out story for you this week.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I blaming that. No, it's really, really good news. Like, obviously now I don't have to be a fucking 30-year-old man-child just sitting at home waiting for Dulce to come home to play. Aww. Like, now I can actually contribute and, like, do what a human is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But... I'm a big bag of nerves anyway, and it's going to be this way until I'm sitting in my car driving home from my first day of work, and then I can go,
1: whew. Yes, (laughs) because you are Luigi.
0: I literally, Luigi's Mansion is the first Luigi game I've ever played. Any other Nintendo game, really, has only been like Pokemon or like Super Mario or Smash or the Mario Kart. Luigi in Luigi's Mansion 3 is me.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. He is nervous all the time.
0: I relate so hard to him. So hard. And now I have no nice curly mustache to hide behind. So it's just all on show for everybody. (laughs) Being very vulnerable right now.
1: (laughs) Adam seems to think that he looks like an earthworm.
0: Yeah. I feel like I shaved my chin off. (laughs) (laughs) So there's going to be no more videos until (laughs) I have (laughs) (laughs) facial hair again.
1: I'm just, we're going to take, do videos, but I'm going to put my finger under his nose. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's
0: so cold.
1: (laughs) And pretend to be his nose cozy.
0: Yeah, and like to rub salt in the wound, my work permit card has probably the coolest picture I've ever taken for any sort of serious card. I look like an actual cowboy.
1: Let me see. Ah, yeah, it looks really good.
0: Yeah, my friends at home are like... Where's your Stetson, sir? (laughs) (laughs) But I told him I could only get that when I have permanent residency. Uh, That's how that works. Anyway, enough of the boring details. How was your week?
1: My week was good because I got to do all those things for you. And that was so much fun. I'm wearing a
0: bitch and pinhead t-shirt right now that things (laughs) they got me
1: i was so yeah what i love about it is that it's not just a pinhead shirt it's a it's pinhead as a tarot card yeah the pinhead yeah so i was i was pretty jazzed like all week because i got to think of all the things that i could do for adam and just really uh i don't know like that was just so much fun for me like, I had more fun enjoying your birthday with you <laughs> than I had on my own birthday.
0: Yeah, and it was really nice, all the decorations and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I had gotten a package from home as well, because obviously it was my 30th birthday and I'm not with my parents and sisters and shit. So they had sent over goofy things for me to wear, mm-hmm. which they say made sure mm-hmm. that I had on for the pictures. <laughs> and i was so cranky
1: for the call yeah (laughs) yeah he had such a big day well such a big day of enjoyment that we came home after dinner and he just knocked the fuck out he was he was all tuckered out
0: i had eaten so much as well because okay we will get on to the stories next we don't usually take i think five minutes is my usual like cut off time for a chit chat on here yeah but um
1: that's how that's how it is with with our intimate moments. It's like, okay, five minutes. <laughs> that's okay, all you got. That's how you get, and then we have to begin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but um Dolce took me to a really nice vegan restaurant. Um it's like it they make sushi, like Asian dishes. Like imagine like oh. a
1: Japanese restaurant but and everything looks and is laid out the same, sushi rolls and everything. And the only difference is it's vegan, but you can't even tell.
0: Yeah, I'm convinced it's actually meat and they're just telling us that it's vegan. Because Some
1: of these places so good. do it so well that I really do suspect that I think they're fucking with us.
0: Yeah, I think it's like a joke. It's like, yeah. look at these fucking idiots. <laughs>
1: um, That's meat, dummy. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, But yeah, so I ate so much mm-hmm. that by the time I came home, I was just like...
1: Cranky Full and tired.
0: I'm <laughs> tired, yeah. Anyway, have you got a story for us this week? I
1: do. I wanted to discuss with you guys. Well, not so much discuss. I guess I'm always talking at you, aren't I? <laughs> um I wanted to do something fun slash funny. Uh, because I started Googling, you know, like haunted objects and you know, I guess that just that um That kind of actually that started last week with the women of Lem statue. Oh, Oh, was that for extra creep? That
0: was for extra creep. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, if you're a patron, you know what we're talking about. But um, I I talked about the women of Lem and the lore behind the statue, and that got me into like a like a little rabbit hole of just things are that are supposed to be haunted, and naturally, uh, my Google search directed me towards the awesome Zach Bagans Museum. Nice. (laughs) So apparently he has like what's known as like the big haunted four. And one of the ones that he owns is it's the Dybbuk box. So I don't know much about the Dybbuk box.
0: I know Post Malone hates it.
1: I, Ghost Malone. Um. <laughs> yeah.
0: And when he gets here, I'm going to call him <laughs> Ghost, Ghost Malone. Malone.
1: <laughs> so, um, so I was like, I got to be like for a laugh, you know, like let's, let's discuss this story. I was like, well, fuck it. Like, I don't know much about the Dybbuk box. All I know, it's like, it's supposed to be super haunted for some reason. And I don't know what the fuck a Dybbuk is. Um, <laughs> so let's dive in.
0: What even is a dibic?
1: Yeah. What's a box? Um. <laughs> So what I found was an article that Zach Baggins wrote himself. Oh. Yeah. And I'm going to read it to you. (laughs) Was it
0: tattooed poorly on his body?
1: No. (laughs) No, I mean, maybe. (laughs) So that's going to be one of my sources for today. Another is an article by Kenny Biddle from skepticalinquirer.org. Another sources, webarchive.org, Mysterious Universe, and Input Magazine.
0: Right on. Can't believe Zach Bagans is a source.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and the reason why I want to include this is because, I mean, he's big, you know, so...
0: He's a big dude. Not
1: not in that <laughs> sense, but he's very popular. And yeah, he has yeah. a very wide audience, so... When he speaks, it's volumes. It yeah, gets no, and to... he has a
0: lot of genuine fans as well. Like, yeah, I've said this many a time. I love watching Ghost Adventures. Yeah, I like laughing at him, too. Yeah. But like, if I met him, I would have to shake his hand and be like, yeah, whatever you've done.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's obviously right, like. I mean, he's obviously a good businessman.
0: Yeah, he's the Jeff Bezos of the ghost world. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> if if nothing else, I respect the men for that. Yeah, yeah um anyways also can we have a job please (laughs) (laughs) so the dybbuk box according to zach bagans according to jewish folklore a dybbuk is a dark spirit that takes over the bodies of living people and uses them for evil legend has it that a dybbuk can be trapped inside of a box and prevented from causing mischief unless the box is open that is Several years ago, the Dybbuk box shown in the following figure came up for sale on eBay. The seller listed a vintage wine cabinet that came from the estate of a woman who survived a World War II concentration camp. The seller, an antique dealer named Kevin Mannis, claimed that the first owner's granddaughter was terrified of the box, warning him that her grandmother said it held a Dybbuk. After buying the cabinet... He was plagued by a series of unfortunate events and recurring nightmares of an old hag that would brutally attack him, causing him to wake up with bruises on his body. He also experienced an overpowering stench of cat urine in his home. Tragically, his mother suffered a stroke while opening the box. Not surprisingly, he decided to get rid of it. The box eventually ended up in the hands of Missouri Medical Museum director Jason Haxton, who was skeptical about the powers attributed to the box. He soon changed his mind. After acquiring the box, he began to experience a series of medical maladies, including bleeding eyes and strange rashes. Jesus, Yeah. He also began to dream of being attacked by an old hag and would also wake with bruises on his body. Kevin Mannis told me that while the box was in Haxton's basement, A man died there, and his body was found lying next to the box. He eventually became so unnerved by the box that he reached out to scientists and rabbis who instructed him to build a wooden ark lined with 24-karat gold, place the box inside, and bury it in the ground.
0: Where the folks he gonna get 24-karat gold lining?
1: Not a clue. The box was opened during the time that it was owned by Jason Haxton. He retrieved it from its burial site for a special appearance on my television show, (laughs) Deadly Possessions. I arranged to have the box placed in a containment room so that Kevin Manis, the previous owner, could confront his fears about the box. When he opened it, he found the, the contents were intact. There was a dried rose, two coins from the 1920s, a small gold kiddish wine goblet, two locks of hair, an octopus-legged candlestick holder called a Shabbat, and an engraving of the word Shalom, which means peace in Hebrew. When Kevin opened the box, the lights in the building started to flash. Strange sounds were heard, and strangest of all, Kevin turned to face a wall, and he got a very weird expression on his face. His voice changed, and he started to recite a story about a shadow man. He then started speaking in tongues and making bizarre whistling noises. He was sweating profusely and began to cough uncontrollably. I purchased a Dybbuk box from Jason Haxton and placed it on display at the haunted museum. Because of the sinister nature of the box, only visitors over the age of 18 who have signed a waiver are allowed to see it. During the time that it's been on display, there have been people who have fainted, become dizzy, and even sick.
0: And my phone just slipped off the desk. What the fuck? It was on this notebook.
1: Is the notebook wet? No. That's random.
0: That's so weird. And I have it, like, my phone doesn't vibrate when it's on silent or anything.
1: Did it go off? No. Hmm. Must be the ghost. (laughs) Sorry. During the time that it was spent on display... There have been people who have fainted, become dizzy, and even sick. Visitors have also witnessed a shadowy cloaked figure that has been seen passing directly through the closed doors of the room where it's on display. One of my tour guys has had her face shoved into the case that holds the box by an unseen force. In 2018, my friend, singer-songwriter, Post Malone,
0: Malone,
1: visited the haunted museum. During his visit, we were together in the Dybbuk box room, holding hands. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And both heard the unmistakable sound of a little girl's voice. Moments later, something began to affect us. This sensation prompted me to remove the protective case from the box. Something was telling me to open the box. After a very tense moment between Post and myself, I touched the box. Interesting. They locked
0: eyes. He almost said it, but then he decided to touch the box instead.
1: (laughs) He almost touched his box. (laughs) I began to panic and scream, cry, and hyperventilate. Concerned, Post reached out and touched my shoulder. When he did, I felt something pass through my body. When we left the museum, Post sent me a photo of a mysterious bruise that appeared on his arm. After his visit, he was involved in an emergency landing in his private jet. His car was involved in an accident, and armed robbers targeted a home in San Francisco that they believed to be his. I believe that a curse from the box affected him in a series of three events. On Halloween 2018, Ghost Adventures aired a live special from the Haunted Museum when I planned to open the dibbick box myself. During the time that I had owned the box... I had been too cautious to open it because of the events that had transpired with it in the past. I had planned to open the box on live television, but in the end, I did not I'm a very empathic person after the many cases that I have been involved with. My body has become sort of a tuned instrument when it comes to the paranormal. I believe that the dibbig box was aware that we were on live television that night and had no interest in performing
0: <laughs> I haven't got my makeup on. <laughs>
1: It does things on its schedule, in its own time, not according to our clock. I felt as though the energy in the room started peaking. It was overwhelming. I could feel that something very bad would have happened if I had opened the box. It was affecting many people in the room that night, and people watching it on television couldn't understand the seriousness of what was happening. I did not want to sacrifice our safety and health for the sake of entertainment. It was mostly influencing myself, Aaron, electric engineer Gary Galka, and renowned psychic medium Chris Fleming. In addition, other things were happening with the production itself that I felt were trying to prevent the box from being opened. This became apparent when Gary Galka and Chris Fleming began receiving some very disturbing messages using different pieces of communication equipment. I believe the Dybbuk box disturbed and disrupted everything that we were trying to do and it worked. I'd made a very abrupt decision to end things with the box unopened. A lot of people question my decision but I know that I did the right thing. I know what the Dybbuk box had done to me. I know what it's done to others and I know what it's done to my friends. The coincidences of what they've gone through and the curse of it are too coincidental to ignore. The box remains on display at the haunted man. At the Haunted Museum, where it's regularly seen by thousands of visitors who come to experience it every month. Approach it at your own risk. I say that from experience. I have a bizarre connection to the Dybbuk box. It will pull me into the room, and sometimes I talk to it in whispers and words that I don't understand. Sometimes I cannot even open the door to the room. At other times, I feel that I can control it. It's a very strange relationship that I have with the Dybbuk box. And at some point, perhaps, I will be able to truly understand it. So let's break this down. Okay. A dibbick, according to the Jewish Virtual Library, in Jewish folklore and popular belief, it's a evil spirit which enters into a living person, cleaves to his soul, causes mental illness, talks through his mouth, and represents a separate and alien personality. That's what's called the dibbick
0: Okay, so what, like... In regular fucking movie terms would be considered a possession. Yep. A possession.
1: Yeah. The term appears neither in Talmudic li- literature nor in Kabbalah, where this phenomena is always called evil spirit. In the Jewish Encyclopedia version 1966, in Kabbalic folklore, a is the soul of a sinner, which after his death transmigrate into the body of a living person. The word itself is a Hebrew verb, to cling, which specifically clings to a human soul. There's nothing that indicates a Dibbic clinging to an inanimate object. This doesn't mean haunted items are outside the realm of possibility, in my opinion. I just thought it was important to point this out.
0: It's like, a, it's mis, mis, cultural misappropriation. Yeah. Is that the right term?
1: Yeah. Um. So that's 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 some of the
0: fact about a dibbic what we know. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh-huh. So, it's not to say that this object isn't haunted, but I wouldn't call it a dibbic because it just wouldn't be appropriate.
0: The Hebrew is a very um like personal thing for J- the Jewish community, you know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, it's it, it the language itself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so that's what a dibbic actually is. There's no there's never been indie, any any indication that a Dibbic can actually attach itself to an animate object. Okay. And a Dybbock absolutely exists in Jewish folklore. It's just not in this way. Also, I want to point out that Manis is not an antiques dealer. The guy who sold the holds who sold this on eBay. Okay. Cause in Bagan's Bagan's article it says that he is an antiques dealer. Yeah. He actually isn't. He's a writer. Oh. Yeah. I also want to touch on that tidbit that Baggins mentioned where when Manus was in the episode of Deadly Possessions, it said that he went off on his own.
0: Uh, Shouting at the wall.
1: Reciting lyric uh, a poem about a shadow man. That poem that he was reciting is his own work that he wrote. Oh, he posted it on a like a music lyrics website back in 2012.
0: That's cringy.
1: The work is called The Shadow Man Part One. Baggins episode with the Dybbuk box and Manis was aired April 2nd, 2016. So much after.
0: Is that like a a self plug? Like,
1: I, I think he was putting it on thick.
0: Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Mm hmm. I wonder, is his poetry anything like Zach and uh, Nick Groff's poetry? I'd say yes. Like, over some sludge metal. <laughs> I can't see darkness. My eyes. <laughs> the spirits. They come.
1: Yeah, probably some dent,
0: dent. Dent, Yeah. Seriously, people, look it up. It's a real thing. I'm not just making it up. It Zach Bagans sounds... and Nick Groff have their own, uh, like, I th- I, it is sludge metal, isn't it?
1: Zach Bagans like, makes his own music?
0: Yeah, I don't know that. up on Spotify. What? I think we can play six seconds of music without getting... Dude. Yeah. Okay, so it's Zach Bagans versus Praga Khan. And not even 600 people listen to this every month. And it's, I think the album is called Necrofusion. And this first song is called In My Dungeon.
1: <laughs>
0: You're standing right next to me, aren't you? okay i'm not gonna lie i'm not even sure if wait that's... is that
1: his music or did someone take his sound bites
0: that's i'm not sure but i'm i'm almost positive that it's actually his poetry you know what i mean
1: oh so remember that one time that was it a song i think we we should post this we should oh. share a link to this video where it just is clips of him saying mercury
0: Yeah, he can't say mercury.
1: No, he can't say mercury. Mercury. But then again, I can't say wolf. So or
0: World War 2. Or <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so here's Nick Groff's uh, <laughs> Demon Hunters. Okay, so. wow that's awful <laughs>
1: honestly i like the zach baggins one better
0: um, uh i i, I think like if i both had awful. to
1: like if i had to if i was in some sort of like a seventh level of hell and yeah. i had to listen to one on repeat it would be the zach baggins one absolutely
0: maybe i guess they're not sludge metal though. they're like new metal but also we're going way off top well i'm going way off topic here but I th- i'm pretty sure they both came out with these albums roughly around the same time and it was shortly after they had like gone their separate ways like Nick Groff left Ghost Adventures and went on to do what is a paranormal lockdown or something mm-hmm. but like among the ghost hunting community because when i was researching about Mark and Debbie Co- Co- Constantino uh, Constantino I, was, I found a youtube video of them saying hey guys go listen to Nick's Nick's album is really is really cool. <laughs> and it looked like they were being held at gunpoint by Nick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was fucking Anyway, I'd know too much about this <laughs> topic right now. Tell me more about this Dibby box. Please.
1: Okay. So now I'm gonna read a post from Kevin Manis himself, which contains the original eBay auction post. That way we can see where this all started. Okay. Okay. This is the original unedited eBay auction listing I posted several years ago for an item that has come to be known by millions of people around the world as a Dybbuk box. He even wrote Dybbuk wrong. (laughs) It is the basis for a major motion picture being produced by Sam Raimi and scheduled for release in 2010 by Ghost House Films. If you Google the term, the Dybbuk box, you can see what's happened since I sold it. The story continues to unfold to this day. So now we get to the actual post. All of the events that I'm about to set forth in this listing are accurate and may be verified by the winning bidder with the copies of hospital records and sworn affidavits that I am including as part of the sale of the cabinet. During September of 2001, I attended an estate sale in Portland, Oregon. The items liquidated at this sale were from the estate of a woman who had passed away at the age of 103. A granddaughter of the woman told me that her grandmother had been born in Poland, where she grew up, married, raised a family, and lived until she was sent to a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. She was the only member of her family who survived the camp. Her parents, brothers, a sister, a husband, and two sons and a daughter were all killed. She survived the camp by escaping with some other prisoners. And somehow making her way to Spain, where she lived until the end of the war. I was told that she acquired the small cabinet, the small wine cabinet listed here in Spain, and it was one of only three items that she brought with her when she immigrated to the United States. The other two items were a steamer trunk and a sewing box. I purchased the wine cabinet, along with the sewing box and some other furniture, on the estate sale. After the sale, I was approached by the woman's granddaughter who said, I see you got the Dybbuk box. She was referring to the wine cabinet. I asked her what a Dybbuk box was and she told me that when she was growing up, her grandmother always kept the wine cabinet in her sewing room. It was always shut and set in a place that was out of, out of reach. The grandmother always called it the Dybbuk box. When the girl asked her grandmother what was inside, her grandmother spit three times through her fingers, said, a Dybbuk and a keselum." The grandmother went on to tell the girl that the wine cabinet was never ever to be opened. The granddaughter told me that her grandmother had asked that the box be buried with her. However, as such a request was contrary to the rules of the Orthodox Jewish burial, the grandmother's request had not been honored. I asked the granddaughter what a Dybbuk was and Kelsum were, but she did not know. I asked if she would like to open it with me. She did not want to open it, as her grandmother had been very empathic and serious when she instructed her not to do so. And regardless of the reason, she wanted to honor her grandmother's request. I ended up offering to let her keep what seemed to me to be a sentimental keepsake. At that point, she was very insistent and said, no, no, you bought it. I explained that I didn't want my money back and that it would make me feel better to do what I thought was an act of kindness. She then became somewhat upset. Looking back now, the way she became upset was just plain odd. She raised her voice to me and said, you bought it. You made a deal. When I tried to speak, she yelled, we don't want it. She began to cry, asked me to leave, and quickly walked away. I wrote the whole episode off to stress and grief that she must be experiencing, so I took my purchases and politely left. At the time when I bought the cabinet, I owned a small furniture furnishing business. I took the cabinet to my store and put it in my basement workshop where I intended to refinish it and give it as a gift to my mother. I didn't think anything more about it. I opened my shop for the day and went to run some errands, leaving the young woman who did sales for me in charge. After about a half hour, I got a call on my cell phone. The call was from my salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical and screaming that someone was in my workshop breaking glass and swearing. Furthermore, the intruder had locked the iron security gates and the emergency exit and she couldn't get out. As I told her to call the police, my cell phone battery went dead. I hit speeds of 100 miles per hour, getting back to the shop. When I arrived, I found the gates locked. I went inside and found my employee on the floor in a corner of my office, sobbing hysterically. I ran to the basement and went downstairs. At the bottom of the stairs, I was hit by an overpowering, unmistakable odor of cat urine. There had never been any animals kept or found in my shop. The lights didn't work. As I investigated, I found that the reason the lights didn't work also explained the sounds of glass breaking. All of the light bulbs in the basement were broken. All nine incandescent bulbs had been broken in their sockets, and ten four-foot fluorescent tubes were lying scattered on the floor. I did not find an intruder, however. I should also add there was only one entrance to the basement. It would have been impossible for anyone to leave without meeting me head-on. I went back up to speak with my salesperson, but she left. She never returned to work. After having been with me for two years, she refuses to discuss the incident to this day. I never thought of relating the events of that day to anything having to do with the cabinet. Then things got worse. As I already indicated, I had decided to give the cabinet to my mother as a birthday gift. About two weeks after I made the purchase, I decided to start refinishing it. I was surprised to find that the cabinet had a unique little mechanism. When you open the doors, the mechanism causes the opposite door and the little drawer below to open at the same time. It's very well made. Inside the cabinet, I found the following items. One 1928 U.S. Wheat Penny. One 1925 U.S. Wheat Penny. One small lock of blonde hair bound with a string. One small lock of black brown hair bound with string, one small granite statue engraved and gilded with Hebrew words. I've been told that the letters spell out the word Shalom, one dried rosebud, a golden wine cup, and a strange black cast iron candlestick holder with octopus legs. I saved all the items in a box, intending to return them to the state. The family has refused the items, so they will be included in the sale of the cabinet. After opening the cabinet, I decided not to refinish it. I cleaned it and rubbed it with some lemon oil. It was at this time that I noticed that there was an inscription in Hebrew carved into the back of the cabinet. I have no idea what it says or if it's significant. I have included a picture of that inscription below. On my mother's birthday, October 28, 2001, my mother called to tell me that she was going out of town with my sister for three days, and we postponed celebrating her birthday together until she returned. On October 31, 2001, my mother came to my shop. We were going to have lunch together, but before we were going to leave, I gave her the wine cabinet. She seemed to like it. While she examined it, I went to make a phone call. I hadn't been out of sight more than five minutes when one of my employees came running into my office saying that something was wrong with my mom. When I went back to see what the matter was, I found my mom sitting in a chair beside the cabinet. Her face had no expression, but tears were streaming down her cheeks. No matter how I tried to get her to respond, she would not. She could not. It turns out that my mother had suffered a stroke. She was taken to the hospital by ambulance she ended up suffering partial paralysis and losing her ability to speak and form words. She has since regained the ability to speak. She could understand things being said to her and could respond by pointing the letters of the alphabet to spell out words she wanted to say. When I asked her the following day how she was doing, she teared up and and spelled out the words N-O-G-I-F-T, no gift. I assured her that I had given her a gift for her birthday, thinking that she didn't remember, but she became even more upset, and spelled out the words, hate gift. (laughs) I laughed and told her not to worry. I told her I was sorry she didn't like the cabinet, and that I would get her anything she wanted if she would promise to get well soon. Still, I didn't associate anything that had happened with the cabinet itself, or anything paranormal. Frankly, I don't think I ever even used the term paranormal until the last month. I'll try to make this short now. I gave the cabinet to my sister. She kept it for a week, then gave it back. She complained that she couldn't get the doors to stay closed and that they kept coming open. There are no springs in the door mechanisms, and I have never found that the doors come open. I gave it to my brother and his wife who kept it for three days and then gave it back my brother said it smelled like jasmine flowers while his wife insisted that it put out an odor oh it put out an odor like cat urine smells like cat piss i gave it to my girlfriend who asked me to sell it for her after only two days i sold it the same day to a nice middle-aged couple three days later when i came to open the shop for the day I found the cabinet sitting at the front doors with a note that read, This has a bad darkness. I had no idea what that meant. Anyway, I ended up taking it home. Then things got worse. Since the day I brought it home, I began having strange, reoccurring nightmares. It goes something like this. I find myself walking with a friend, usually someone I know well and trust at some point in the dream. I find myself looking into the eyes of the person I'm with. It's then that I realize that there's something different, something evil, looking back at me. At that point in my dream, the person I'm with changes into what can only be described as the most gruesome demonic-looking hag that I've ever seen. This hag proceeds then to beat the living tar out of me. I've awakened numerous times to find bruises and marks on myself where I've been hit by the old woman during the previous night. Still, I never related the nightmares to the cabinet, nor do I think that I ever would have. About a month ago, however, my sister and my brother and his wife came over to my house and spent the night. The following morning, during breakfast, my sister complained that she had had a horrible nightmare. She said that she recalled having it a couple of times before and went to describe my nightmare exactly to the last detail. My brother and his wife froze as they listened and then chimed in that they both had the exact same dreams during the night as well.
0: Weird.
1: The hair was standing up on the back of my neck and still is. As we talked, it became clear that the common denominator was that each of us had had the nightmare during the times that the cabinet was in our respective homes. I called my girlfriend and asked if she could recall any nightmares recently. She described the same nightmare, same hag, everything. When I asked her if she remembered the date when she had the nightmare, she said she did not. Then I asked if it happened to be the night before she gave me the cabinet back to sell for her. She said, yeah, how'd you know that? Now then, since my family's discussion, it seems like all hell is breaking loose. For a week afterward, I started seeing what I can only describe as shadow things in my peripheral vision. In fact, numerous visitors to my house have claimed that they have seen these shadow things. I put the cabinet in an outside storage unit and was awakened when the smoke alarm in the unit went off in the middle of the night. When I went to see what was burning, I opened the door and didn't see any smoke. However, I did get hit with the smell of cat urine. When I went back inside, the smell was there in my house. I do not own a cat and I never have. I went back outside grabbed the cabinet. I brought it back inside and tried to research it on the internet. While I was surfing the net, I fell asleep and once again had the same freaking nightmare. I woke up around 4.30 a.m. when it felt and smelled like someone was breathing on my neck to find that my house now smelled like jasmine flowers and just in time to see a huge shadow thing go lopping down the hallway from the hall away from me. I would destroy this thing in a second, except I really don't have any understanding of what I may or may not be dealing with. I'm afraid, and I do mean afraid, that if I destroy the cabinet, whatever it is that seems to have come with the cabinet may just stay here with me. I've been told that there are people who shop on eBay that understand these kinds of things and specifically look for those kinds of items. If you're one of these people, please... Please buy this cabinet and do whatever you do with a thing like this. Help me. You can see that I have no reserve, price, or minimum bid. If I can make things any easier, let me know and I will do everything within my ability. One more note. On the same day my mom had a stroke, the lease on my store was summarily terminated without cause. So he goes to include the measurements and says that whatever he originally found inside the cabinet will be included in the sale and delivered with the cabinet. I'll try now to update and answer the most common questions I've been receiving. Number 1. No, I'm not religious. 2. No, I do not wish to have or participate in any sort of exorcism or case study or photo sessions at my home. 3. No, I will not sell any of the individual pieces which were originally found separate from the other pieces and the cabinet. Four, no, I do not speak Hebrew, nor do I know what the word Kestlam means. I don't know what the word is. I don't know that the word is even a Hebrew word. Five, at the end of the auction, I've decided to take an opportunity to speak with the winning bidder for two reasons: a, to make sure that the winning bidder is a serious adult who has employed some valid reasoning skills in making the decision to accept whatever this is. I will not be judgmental. Do whatever you want or need after the sale. B. To offer full details of the events that have transpired. After I've carried out those responsibilities and upon payment, I will have the cabinet and its contents delivered to the winning bidder. At that point, I will have no further involvement with the matter in any way, shape, or form, period. Finally, to all of you who have offered to pray, I may not be religious, but I am certainly open to the possibilities, no matter what your religion might be. Thank you. Also, for those of you wanting to know if I'm still experiencing anything out of the ordinary, I thought everything was going okay until I got home on Friday, June 13th, and found that the fish in my freshwater aquarium, all 10 of them, were dead. I'm still hoping that all of this is coincidental crap. The Bagans. Bagans. I'm always going back and forth with this Yeah, name. I know.
0: I say Bagans as a joke, but I think that actually is how you pronounce it.
1: Bagans? Yeah. Okay. In Bagans' article, this box did end up in the hands of Jason Haxton. That part is true. Apparently, chaos seemed to have followed the box. So yeah. According to Haxton himself, while it was in Haxton's hands, he had a duplicate made. I found a picture of both of these Dybbuk boxes that look exactly the same, but I couldn't figure out why he decided to make a duplicate.
0: That is very strange. Also, so like there was a lot to unpack there with what was the fella's name, the original poster?
1: Manus, Kevin Manus. Yeah,
0: Kevin, like Manus is his whole thing. But the one thing that stuck with me, other than the granny spitting through her fingers three times, why would you find two US pennies from 1928? When this woman brought the Dybbuk box with her from Poland or Germany. Yes. After 1945. We'll find out. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Then. Good. Let's find out.
1: (laughs) So, going back to the duplicates, maybe to protect the public from the real danger, the original Dybuk box. Yeah. Or was it something else? So... In 2021, a writer for Input Magazine got in touch with Manus himself. And after some hard questionings, Manus revealed this Everything he wrote in his 2003 eBay listing is a work of fiction. What? He says, I am a creative writer. He says, The Dybbuk box is a story that I created and the Dybbuk box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago. The interview asks, which is what? And he says, which is to become an interactive horror story in real time, he says. So the magazine goes on to write, though managed by the wine cabinet at a yard sale, it was from an attorney, not the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. He says the carving in the back of it is my carving. The stone that was in the box is something that is a signature creation of mine also. Make no mistake, I conceived the Dybbuk box, the name, the term, the idea, and wrote this creative story around it to post on eBay. He also told Input this, it wasn't money issues that motivated him, but relationship problems with his girlfriend and a host of other bad luck events. He says he channeled all that negative energy into this tall tale. Quote, at the time I created the Dybbuk box. It was during Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. End quote. So he wrote this as a Facebook message to the interviewer from Input Magazine. Oh, okay. This is our conversation. And he also told him, I created the box whilst praying and asking for forgiveness for all of the sins that I had committed That I knew about, and perhaps even more important, the sins I had committed that I didn't know about. Yeah. (sighs) So, when Haxton had the Dybbuk box, he wrote a book about it. And in that book, he accuses Manus of making the whole thing up, along with some other shit-talking. He wrote, I think Kevin was shocked, because he thought he might have come up with the idea and the concept, but he would have never gotten the book written, Haxton says. He also went on to say he never finishes anything. He would have never gotten the movie done. I got Red carpet treatment and everything. I was with the stars and he was a background noise and it probably pisses him off. But that's just the way it is. And in the same breath, Haxton told Input, that he believes that the box is cursed by Manus.
0: Okay, hold the fucking phone. First of all, writers are so petty. Aren't they? Um... <laughs> <laughs> and second of all that red carpet treatment was like the fucking great value of red carpet treatment because we've seen that movie yeah um, and that was not good no it wasn't it was a fine like small budget film maybe but I'm it was sure a the cheap thrill was, at best yeah like the kind of movie that you would have rented on DVD when you were 12 because you had three euros to spare Mm-hmm. and it was in the specials
1: yeah so
0: second of all sorry mm-hmm I think... I I don't know about Manus. Maybe he wouldn't have the the follow through to stay committed to the story. But the fact that the two of them went on Zach Bacons' show, was that before or after the movie? Probably after the movie, right?
1: He... It was after the movie. Because the movie, I think it was done in 2010.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So... That was probably just their way of trying to revitalize that. But I do still think that this all comes back to that whole tulpa idea. I know people are probably sick of me saying that. But the fact that Zach Bagans has put so much emphasis on how scary this thing is, that maybe this guy is right. Maybe maybe not a Kevin Mann is, but maybe somebody has made it this big scary thing.
1: You can dice this any way you want. And that's the problem with the story, you know. It's because if you're just if I'm looking, I'm taking if I take this at face value, I'm and I'll be on your boat where it's like, yeah, you know, someone's made this thing into something, the thing that is that it is now You've
0: spoken it into existence, like-
1: right? But if you don't, then this literally just seems like so man has made some things. I I think. I just feel like he made he did make this shit up because he was hard up on cash because yeah. I I really I can't I don't I didn't see how much he sold this for. If he really wanted to get rid of it, he ob- it obviously was a work of fiction, but with the price that probably wasn't a good sell. Like if I'm getting rid of something because I want to get rid of something, I'm going to sell it for a dollar.
0: Yeah, like his whole thing was, I want to get rid of it properly and make sure it's taken care of so it doesn't like backfire on me. Yeah. But the fact that he stuck with this fake story for mm-hmm. so long. I can't believe just this year he came out. So. Just this
1: year. Yeah, he came out and said it's fake.
0: That is insane.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I didn't know all that.
1: Yeah. So uh, I think it was in June. And honestly... A phony.
0: A big fat yeah, phony. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think he may have taken haxton for a ride by letting him believe that it was bullshit and
0: but after salty.
1: but afterwards like they met they talked they talked enough that ha- haxton had an opinion about manis you know what i'm saying yeah he knew yeah. he was There's a writer
0: back and forth like
1: he knew he was a writer he knew what he had a an opinion on manis as a person so i'm pretty sure and he just seems like a more dominant kind of personality yeah so yeah. if he wanted to get the truth out of manis manis probably told him hey this story is a fake and because haxton doesn't want to lose his credibility he's probably saying very milquetoast things like uh yeah this is probably manis probably made it up but you know what i still think it's it's cursed because at the right. end of the day he's the one that wrote that book he's
0: the one he's, who sunk he's the one into it.
1: Uh, he's the one that's getting paid for that book he's the one that got the movie deal and he's He's the one that
0: sold it to zach bagans
1: he's the one that sold it to zach bagans you feel me so he has to come he has to maintain that
0: yeah yeah
1: you know what i'm saying
0: jesus that's that really threw me for a loop i wasn't expecting that interview to have come out
1: that's why i set it up that way wow but anyways um to top that all off going back to the duplicate divot box it makes sense why he made a duplicate because, like, he probably just wants to make more money. You know? Anyway.
0: Sell them both as the original like.
1: Yeah. Either way, another important detail. Everything about the Dybbuk box, mini bar, wine bar, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> was made by Manus. The inscriptions? Manus. The items inside? Manus. That's why it didn't make sense to you. Yeah, Because you U.S. fucking pennies. Because it came from Manis. He just grabbed some pennies and threw them in there. Even the locks of hair, those are Manuses.
0: In my head, I had a teacher. In my middle year of my apprenticeship, I had a, a professor or a teacher or whatever. And I know his first name was Kevin. I can't remember what his second name was. But he was one of those teachers that was just in such a fluster all the time that we learned nothing and that's who I'm picturing as being Kevin Manis.
1: <laughs> but yeah dude that's that's my story
0: well good job I just really wasn't expecting that because I had read up on that last year mm-hmm. when we first got started because as well it's another one of those um, like such a fucking like pop term mm-hmm. as well like demon or fucking whatever ghost hunting terms are going on like this year
1: mm-hmm.
0: the Dibbuck I feel like Last year and the year before was such a hot topic. Like, yeah, you know what I mean?
1: Mm. So, like, I I thought it was pretty interesting. Or not so much interesting as, like, more, like, funny. So, Kenny Biddle from the Skeptical Inquirer. Because I read his article. And he made some really good points. But he also cherry-picked a few. Yeah, yeah. To, like, sort of talk shit about. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, like, there was this one point that he made that was, like, well... In Manis' eBay post, he said that he bought it from the granddaughter of a Nazi concentration concentration camp survivor whose entire family died. But then how was there a granddaughter? But you could clearly see on the post itself, it said she had one daughter. Like she was the only one that survived and she had daughters.
0: And that's how
1: the granddaughter came about. So that's what I mean, like cherry picking. But the one funny thing that I did see that in his article is like this is just a glorified wine cabinet. He's like, I even went and I found some wine cabinets that are this style and he ended up buying one himself and <laughs> taking a picture of it with him, like of himself with the cabinet. And he's like, the only spirits that this is that this box has is fucking whiskey and gin, whiskey and, gin and all this other shit. <laughs> i'm like we get it you smart ass you don't believe yeah and ghost <laughs> okay
0: motherfucker
1: yeah um, he's like the atheist friend that no one can stand
0: <laughs> right well again well done and as well that's not to say that neither of us believe that there is no such thing as haunted objects.
1: yeah that I, I wanted to make that clear is that i don't believe that things can't be engulfed in negativity because whether it's a spirit or not it could just be riddled with negative energy
0: yeah like and i worked with somebody who i got this story mm -hmm. oh sorry go ahead no go ahead um like i heard this from somebody else that i worked with about this person but i will actually message them and find out their old job was this person was from jamaica and her old job was flying around all the different caribbean islands something to do with like hospital care or something like that Mm -hmm. or like products Mm -hmm. so she traveled to a lot of different islands and when everywhere she went she would get something you know Mm -hmm. like local Mm -hmm. and when she got to canada she started having some weird shit going on the house i don't know exactly what but she eventually got somebody to come to the house and check it out i don't know what this person's background was or anything but when they got there they walked like straight up to the room and pointed to a painting and said, this, you have to get rid of this. So this person's like, oh shit, okay, like <laughs> absolutely, whatever you fucking say. And then as the person was leaving the house, this holy person or whatever they were, they took one look in the car and they just said, there's something in your car with you. Like there's a an entity in your car, like a bad entity and... Like, you need to find what it's attached to and get rid of that. And they knew exactly what they were talking about because they had something hanging from the wing mirror. Like, just a small little handmade decoration that you wouldn't even think of. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the person was like, that's it. It has to be that
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's attached to. But, yeah. So, I hands down believe this shit.
1: Yeah. But, may I mean... And then one also could argue that, you know, it's kind of like the discussion that we had the other day about um, demons and spirits. Are they the same thing, but with just different names?
0: Yeah, exactly. You know? So, alrighty then. Well, it's my turn now. I'm talking. I'm the one talking now, by the (laughs) way. (laughs) So, this week, I only have one source because I was going to go through Reddit and pick out stories specifically from this topic. Mm Mm-hmm. And it turns out somebody else had already done it. (laughs) So I am just reading straight from one collection of stories. This topic was suggested by our good friend, Claudia, who, to be fair, like I have a list. And obviously, anybody who suggests topics, I always add it to the list. Hmm. But the list is just growing longer and longer. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, I don't have the time. But this one, when I saw it, I was like, that's actually a really good idea. So this one is trucker stories nice and i feel very close to this topic because that brief time in canada when i did drive trucks Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not even long distance but like i'd be in it for like eight hour drives and stuff like that that was my calling
1: i thought you were gonna say oh this is close to me because i drove a truck once
0: no i did it for two years (laughs) (laughs) i did it for two years and i felt like King this of the road, is living man. <laughs> King <laughs> yeah. of the road, cock yeah. of the walk. Absolutely, just sitting in this big old truck, arm out the window, doing the <laughs> 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 anyway. This one's called. I parked behind. I parked beside a cemetery and was scared half to death.
1: Oh, oh,
0: oh! Uh, by X R eight turbo remember these are truckers
1: ah right (laughs) we should see if they'll respond to us if like if we get on one of those uh radios
0: xr8 turbo
1: yeah see if anybody responds
0: pulled over for a break on the way to melbourne from sydney at a truck stop no street lights or anything pitch black no other trucks or cars at the stop i turned off my lights i switched the truck off did the curtains locked the truck from both sides and jumped into bed I set my alarm and put my phone above me in the compartment. I was rolling over from side to side for around five or 10 minutes. I couldn't get to sleep due to it being prime summer temperatures, reaching around 30 degrees at night. Gross, that's like 90. I'm looking up at the ceiling, mentally planning out the day ahead, when suddenly the passenger's side door opens up slightly <gasps> and the cabin lights turn on, and the cabin light turns on. What, what the fuck? Now, the truck is a fairly late model and in pristine condition. That's real trucker talk there. i <laughs> so proud. So there's no question about, my, about the door being faulty or anything. I just sat there for what felt like eternity, expecting someone to come up and see me sitting there with the solid rod in my hand that we use for tightening belts. No one came up. Nor was there any noise at all. Just quiet, eerie silence.
1: Jeez.
0: I grabbed my torch. Flashlight and jumped down, walked around the truck. No other trucks were around, nor were there any cars. It was just me and my fully loaded B double, whatever that is. After around five or ten minutes of getting fucked around with, I locked up again and went to bed. Woke up the next morning, yawned, fixed myself up along with the bed, opened the curtains, and fucked my life, there's a cemetery next to the stop where I parked. Hunger and laziness all escaped upon realization. I grabbed the keys, fuck putting on shoes, fuck putting on pants, switched the truck on, and just got the fuck out of there ASAP. (laughs) I don't blame you. That is fucking creepy. Especially, like, he had his little routine. He's like, okay, I got to lock the door, sneak into the back, close the curtains, get into bed.
1: Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. Um, But, like, he had his own... um, Like, if you're... Cause like you s- sit up high in a fucking truck, so if you don't have pants or shoes, no one's gonna care but you. And <laughs> and speaking of which, I wanted to tell my own trucker story. Oh. I- I've never driven a truck, but um, I used to have to like talk to truckers who unloaded at the warehouse that I work at. And one of them, like I, uh, we were finally ready to receive the the shipment that he had and so i went and i was just like knocking on the door like you know on the window because he wasn't sitting there on in the cabin i guess the cab whatever and so like i guess he was asleep but he opens a curtain man's in his underwear (laughs) i guess he was asleep yeah but he comes out in just his tidy whiteys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I quickly bolted.
0: <laughs> so get me the fuck out of here. Probably didn't even know what was going on. Those poor truckers are so sleep deprived.
1: <laughs> yeah, he was just like this little old man in and his, his, little and little his, and his little white his Little white, tidy bo- whities.
0: What are they called, White runs?
1: I guess.
0: Nice. Okay, this next one is from Straight Retaliation. My boyfriend is a truck driver who routinely does midnight runs. He told me that one night he was getting ready to park in a lot next to a truck stop. He said it looked like there was no lights, no cars, no sign of anyone, but he said screw it, he was tired. He woke up the next morning, parked on the side of the road, with three highway patrol vehicles behind him. He was about 15 miles away from the truck stop he parked at. The thing is, he was sleeping in his camper the whole time. He has no idea how he got on the side of the road, And logic says someone tried stealing the truck and succeeded. And the police convinced him of this as they said that they saw, quote, a man in a black jumpsuit running away from his truck into a nearby field. Even then, he still feels uneasy about the situation. The doors were still locked from the inside and there was no real sign of anyone trying to break in.
1: What the fuck?
0: Yeah, so I did read these already because I wanted to make sure that they were decent and that one is probably the, the
1: the most unsettling
0: yeah like what was this person in there?
1: yeah room? like how did the guy not wake up
0: yeah or was it a fucking ghost there's like the police never caught this person who just yeah. ran off into a field
1: that's crazy and that the police have to the police of all people have to convince, convince you yeah like nah bruh we saw someone run from a truck yeah man.
0: right Okay, this next one isn't paranormal, but it's downright terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> so this one's from Joe Barge. How, how strange, a Reddit name that actually is just the person's name. <laughs> my father was a truck driver for over 30 years. He is currently in hospital due to back problems, probably because of the driving for 30 years. Truck drivers have to be the least healthy people I've ever come across in my fucking life. Mm. Mind you, this story might have happened maybe 20 years ago, and it's a retelling of a retelling. I might even go back and edit certain parts if I recall something different, but I'll do my best to summarise. One night, as my father was trying to catch a few hours sleep in the bed of his truck, before having to, kind of illegally, drive a few more hours than he was supposed to, due to time constraints and bad traffic all day, he heard little bumps from outside, like a raccoon trying to get into a metal shed so his first thought was simply it's probably a raccoon
1: yeah that's cute though
0: Yeah, but then things turned a bit creepy he started hearing more noises and finally some mumbling from outside clearly no raccoon but a couple of guys maybe two or three fully convinced this wasn't just an animal my father tried to get up but simply couldn't it was like he was mentally all there, but his muscles just weren't responding. It wasn't anything like sleep paralysis, though. It turns out, those guys put a little rubber tube through the truck's little skylight, which was tilted open slightly for some fresh air while sleeping, and poured some kind of knockout gas or something like that into the truck's cabin. Barely conscious, he could just lay there and watch as two men entered the cabin after fiddling around with the lock for a few more minutes they took all they could find both company and private phone his wallet and even his shoes wow something that I personally find most terrifying one of these thieves was searching everything very thoroughly he even gave my dad a complete pat down pockets of pants and shirt under his pillow basically anywhere where someone would hide something of value personally that would have freaked me out the most and the most interesting part about this story is that he told me about it as if it were just one of those things you have to get through when being a trucker what and this story in particular isn't too rare out there he said he also told me a ton of other horror stories from other drivers but i wanted to keep it in the family for this one maybe another day whoa how fucking scary would that be
1: that's terrifying
0: the poor man was probably still in shock when he told his son. And yeah. that's why he's like.
1: He's like, that's just something just par we par have to deal with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's just lucky that all they did was steal his shit.
1: Instead of just. And yeah. And they didn't steal his kidneys or something.
0: Or the rest of his. Like, they could have just taken the truck and left yeah. him on the fucking side. T- anything could have happened. This next one is from Hancock Heim. Wow. <laughs> and already in my head, this one's like. Have a trucker store from the extended family. Uncle used to drive a lot and he always came back with the most weirdest stories ever. (laughs) That's... I don't know why. That's just how this... this, the vibe I'm getting from this. I've been vibing a lot lately. (laughs) While every family member knew his stories, there was one story he told and warned about. Even to me when I was six or so. Moral of the story is to never, ever say during the night in the desert... Alone. It seems that one time he drove to Chile. He had a contract there, and the way there was okay. Safe, I guess. The person goes on to say, I made the travel myself later in life. It's beautiful. (laughs) Whenever he was done, he usually spent a few bucks on booze. But this time, due to a family gathering he wanted to come back to, he headed back as soon as possible. So instead of drinking at some random bar, he decided to sleep a bit at the Atacama Desert. Well... It's a desert, and he had parked way outside the road and a few miles before the next village. He sleeps and wakes up to somebody singing. He is confused and thinks it's the radio, but the radio is not on. Then the singing stops, and it sounds more like a scream of help. That's when he wants to get out and go find the person in need, but still he is confused. He said he started the motor and turned on the lights to see where and who was there and he also opened the window a bit and yelled asking what happened. There was nothing. Absolute silence. And right then when he decides to get out of the way he catches movement in the corner of where the lights end. It looked like a woman but the face was pitch dark. He freaks out and drives away. until he reached home from Chile to probably America.
1: (laughs) That's wild. Sounds like a skinwalker.
0: Yeah. Whatever he saw or thought he saw, every time he told the story, his face went pale. Even my grandmother commented how he was usually a very jolly guy, but whatever happened in the Atacama Desert freaked him totally out. Well, Hancock, I'm... I, honest to God, don't know what I would do. Something like that is one of my biggest fears. Especially, like, the darkness of night. Like, just catching something. No. No face. Okay, this next one is from Lamborghini Me. Nothing huge, but I was once stopped by a train in Calumet City. Is that how you say it? Calumet? I guess. In Illinois. Probably 2 or 3 a.m. And it's kind of a ghetto area so I was a little uneasy being there at that time. The company I was delivering to was at a dead end, just after the tracks. Of course, there wasn't anyone around, just me. I sat parked for like five minutes waiting on the train, and all of a sudden I heard loud knocking on my door, like rapidly, to get my attention. I have a day cab, so I looked all around the truck, through the windows and mirrors. Nobody. The road was wide enough, that I would have totally seen somebody running away after doing this. I'm sure it was someone I'm sure it was something not on this plane and I accept that. I'm sure people have been killed in that area at some point in the past. <laughs> and that's it, very blunt, very to the point. This one is from The Goose says. I've slept in hundreds of rest areas, parking lots, state and national forests. The spookiest times are things you can't quite put your finger on, often in the desert. I was outside of Roswell The colours of the land and night sky The colours of the land and night sky Just felt strange Everything has this purple hue Gave me chills (laughs) Okay Last one's from Dr. Callow And it's another one of the short ones I slept in my rig on Walton's Mountain In Virginia one night It wasn't the pitch black darkness that bothered me It was the sounds coming from it
1: Hmm.
0: It wasn't animal noises I have no idea what it was, but it creeps me out to this day. Mm. Okay, guys, there you go. Trucker stories. Claudia, hope you liked it. Um, I'm sure there's an awful lot more. Actually, I think we have a couple of truckers that listen to us, right? I don't know. I'm almost sure we have one. I remember talking to a trucker from California.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Almost sure. If you're still listening, dude. Let us know any of your creepy stories. Yeah. And if any of your friends are listening, tell them to send them in too. Thank you for listening. If you want more of our, I don't know, our voices, our faces, anything, join our Patreon, the $2, $5 or $10 tier, whatever you want. Um, Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh... We will see you on Wednesday, or you will hear us on Wednesday, for the September titillating tales of true terror. September.
1: September, bitch.
0: Fucking crazy. And I think that's about it. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.